This week on Inside Motorsport, we speak to the head of Motorsport Australia, Eugene Arocca. I hope you'll stay with us. Eugene Haraka, thanks for joining us here on Inside Motorsport. And a very interesting study has been commissioned by Motorsport Australia and your partners, Andra and Karting Australia, to look at the impact, the economic impact that motorsport has across the Australian landscape. And it's come back with some very interesting findings. Uh, thanks for having me, Craig. And yes, it has. Um, and this is not the first time we've done this. We did it back in 2014 with Ernst and Young to pretty much try and make government and corporate sponsors aware of the impact of the sport. So we felt some six or seven years later, um, it was worthwhile revisiting. And and we worked on the figures based in 2019, which was pre-COVID, but it really um, shone through with some fantastic um, figures. And the highlight figure is $8.6 billion of economic um, uh, input, if you want to call it that, or, or, or impact. And relative to the rest of the world, as it turns out, the FIA, which is our sort of world governing body, conducted a similar um, study for 2019 and came up with $159 billion. So when you factor in our $8.6 billion, we punch way above our weight, given that FIA study was over about 130 countries. So it's a really encouraging number. And we've always known about our sport, but to see it in black and white is pretty powerful. Now, $3.1 billion of that figure is direct output. So that's yep. coming directly from motorsport activities. That's correct. And there's a distinction between direct and indirect, and direct is, is basically what it is. It's a direct, specific outcome from a motorsport engagement. The indirect, which is something in the order of $5.5 billion, is um, related to... Um, economic activity. So, for example, if you've got uh, someone who's racing at a, an event, um, the indirect spend would be the food that they might incur when they're going out for restaurants later in the week or the travel <laughs> and the accommodation in addition to the, the spend that they might have used specifically for motorsport. So we find out people go in, go regional a lot and they generally stay for more than a week. In many cases, they stay for up to two weeks. If you look at Target Tasmania, uh, often the competitors, some 300-odd competitors, go down two weeks in advance. Uh, the indirect spend is the time and money they spend away from the event, but actually as a result of the event, if you want to call it that. So $8.6 billion is a pretty big whack, and we're using it to really continue to engage with government, impress our sponsors, and just make sure everyone understands how big this sport is. What I found interesting is that just under 17,000 people are directly employed in the motorsport industry. Now, of course, we know about, we very well know about the 24 professional drivers at the top level of the sport, but from 24 top-level drivers, just under six, uh, just under 17,000, 6,900 direct jobs, there's a lot of other people. There are, and, and look, the supercars is the drill in the crown because they essentially represent the bright, shiny star that is the major event. But they are basically the tip of the iceberg. And below the water, you know, the other 98 to 99% of the sport is a mixture of or basically amateur sports people, but the necessity of facilities, logistics, uh, food, accommodation, um, the specific mechanics, engineers, media, sponsorship, uh, it just goes on and on. It has a has a sort of ballooning effect. So we know that we don't employ 16,000-odd people in supercars, 
they probably employ somewhere between one to four, well, it's probably two to three thousand. But the other fifteen or fourteen thousand uh, toiling away on tracks, um, uh, setting up venues, supporting sponsors, all that sort of stuff. So uh, when you factor in the unpaid labourers, who are our fantastic volunteer officials, of which are nearly eighteen thousand or nearly nineteen thousand, um, and the indirect employee employees, there's nearly a over 65,000 people that are effectively running the sport in one form or another. So it's a pretty encouraging figure from a government point of view in particular. It's easy to understand what the officials are and uh, we see them waving the flags, we understand that they're stewarding meetings and actually putting the event on. But when it comes to the indirect jobs, are we talking about then the perhaps the people who are paid to work in the concession stands? Are they uh, people at the hotels that they might have to increase hotel numbers or hotel staffing for when there's a big event on and they have more rooms? That's correct. It's it's that distinction again between what is actually happening at a circuit um, and what is happening away from the circuit. And it gets a bit complicated through the economic sort of... um, a prism, if you want to call it that, but that's a really good example. So, for example, if you've got a big event in Bathurst, um, there are, let's say, 4,000 direct jobs that may be specifically related to Bathurst. That might be an overstatement, but there might be another four or 5,000 part-time jobs or full-time jobs that are put on during those five Bathurst events that happen, and they come from anywhere, anywhere in New South Wales or even from around the country. Uh, if you look at um, the Grand Prix, um, we have some 950 officials who descend into Albert Park from all over the world. There's some 700 that come from Victoria, but another 250 that come from outside Victoria and, and outside Australia to come and, tra- and that's all indirect, that, that getting to the track, getting to the venue, spending the money on the airplane, you know, eating food, all that stuff away from the track generates a big economy that's not just specific to the actual event. So um, our, our members... We'll look at 8.6 billion and start to think, well, where does that all add up? That's where it adds up. We, we put on big events. We're the third most watched, fourth most attended sport in the country, uh, NRL, AFL, uh, I think cricket is the other. The reality is we are a big player in the, uh, in the world of sport in this country. And I think it's uh, important too, one of the... One of the major platforms for Motorsport Australia is to increase participation in the sport, and we all think about the driver. And but participation in motorsport is more than just driving a, a motor vehicle. It's the officials, it's the mechanics, and so what's the increase in that level of participation? Well, we had this is a staggering. Um, sort of statistic, but when we did the first report in 2013, um, uh, by the time we got to 2019, um, our numbers had grown by 40%. That's 40% more members in terms of um, uh, competitors and more per capita than any other country in the world. We had 27,500 Motorsport Australia carrying licence holders. You've had Andy and Andra and Karting. There's also Speedway, of course. Um, so we, we experienced a 40% increase in raw numbers, our clubs and our events. We went from 1,800 events to nearly 3,000 events over that five or six year period. So the sport was on a trajectory of increasing as a result of good economic times. Uh, one of the things this report really bore out is the spend that our people engage in. Um, even our club members who don't 
um, have a Motorsport Australia licence, spend money on their cars and going to events or sell and shine. So when you factor in that a competitor can spend up to $20,000 a year, there aren't too many other sporting amateur um, individuals in Australia that could spend as much as $20,000 to participate in on an average of six events um, around the country. So I think they're really encouraging figures and I think we've been very lucky for two reasons. One is the economy has been very fairly buoyed between 2013 and 2019 and the other has been the success of our drivers both here in Australia and overseas. Daniel Ricciardo, we've now got young Oscar Piastri coming through. They are creating a hero um, sort of a hero mentality and that's really important for children, boys and girls to get involved in the sport and get their parents to support them. So we've seen a really big growth in participation levels and we're very excited about that. COVID has hurt us, like everyone, but we think this sport will get going fairly quickly again. Is it a case of Speedway being too dysfunctional to try and have them as part of this because uh, whilst it's a very popular sport, it has got some uh, organisational challenges that even Speedway Australia uh, sometimes find too hard to uh, muster. Well, it's a really good point and many people may not know that, but Speedway were originally under our umbrella and I think about 2016 we let them go for a variety of reasons around governance. I'm pleased to say that they've certainly improved they're back of house from what I've been able to gather and they've reconnected with us. Unfortunately, they weren't included in this in this particular study. So I think we, uh, your listeners need to understand that this is really the Motorsport Australia umbrella. There are other sporting motorsport activities that happen outside of us. Not very many, but it could probably easily push us over 10 billion in real terms. But yes, Speedway is someone, is an organisation that we continue to keep in touch with. I know their CEO recently moved on to another job um, and so we're now waiting for the new CEO to be appointed and we hope to re-engage. And the next time we do one of these reports, probably in four or five years' time again, I'm sure that they'll be in, uh, in on the same page as us and that'll be pretty good for the sport. And, of course, Motorsport Australia looks after the four-wheel categories. Um, in the Motorsport Hall of Fame, though, you do work closely with Motorcycle Australia. Have they done a similar thing to also uh, look at their impact? Well, they haven't, actually. And I know Pete Doyle really well, and we're really good mates, and uh, Motorcycling Australia are our our good friends, and we work with them hand-in-glove in in a number of areas. They haven't, and I think that they'll be encouraged to do something like this. We've always assumed that, you know, we have a bigger party, you know, the the four wheels are bigger than two, but the number of two-wheel engagements over the last three years alone have just gone through the roof. There's not enough motorbikes in this country to meet demand. So they've got an excellent opportunity to seize upon what we've been doing and perhaps do something similar for, what, for, for the sport they're in. And but collectively, you know, I would be staggered, I would be surprised if we couldn't get well over 12 or $13 billion of, of economic activity as a result of two and four wheels. The other thing you need to keep in mind is the auto aftermarket. It is huge. Back in 2014, that was valued at $11 billion a year. That's the auto aftermarket, $11 billion a year. Now, that was back in 2014. You add them to bikes and our four wheels, talking about a massive industry, and despite the fact that Holden and Ford have packed up and gone, we love our cars, we love our sport, and we love our two wheels, 
And so, therefore, it's a really good space to be in as a CEO of an organisation like ours to talk up to government um, and corporate sponsors about what we do and how we do it. Now, in 2019, across Andra, Drag Racing, Headbody, Karting Australia and Motorsport Australia, you held about 9,650 events. In 2020 and 21, how has COVID affected your ability across the board to put on events? Well, if you take our example, um, we uh, I think in 2019, we had some 3,000 events that we logged away. Um, uh, by the end of 2020, that had dropped down to about 1,200. That gives you an idea of the significant impact that COVID has had at the end of 20. Now, pleasingly in 21, we've been able to get it back up to around about 1,700, 1,800 events. And we expect that in 22, we'll get back up to 2,500. A lot of people have gotten rusty. A lot of people are nervous about lockdown. A lot of people, you know, motorsport is not something you simply turn up at an oval and have a kick. You actually have to do a lot of preparation to put on an event. Often weeks of work are put in to running an event. And the risk of having a last-minute cancellation is gut-wrenching. And even the Sandown round at at the Historics two weeks ago, right up to about two weeks before that event, we were still talking to government to to make sure that it proceeded. So I think a lot of our organisers, clubs, promoters have been a little bit jaded over the last two years, but I'm hopeful that in 2022, with the prospect of less lockdowns, more vaccinations, that will have a lot more comfort, a lot more um, the confidence in being able to put our events. And I think it will only be a matter of time before the industry gets back up to 9,000 events. Um, and we're talking about, you know, drive days, corporate drive days, come and drive, motor cars, you know, Grand Prix, everything from the top to the bottom. And uh, we're pretty confident that will recover fairly quickly. Eugene, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you here on Inside Motorsport. And we thank you for your time once again today. Thank you, Craig, and thanks very much for your support and your interest. We really appreciate it. That's all we have time for on this edition of Inside Motorsport. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.